Live from the Star Worldwide Network Studios, it's time for Spirituality for Everyday Living with Melinda Vale. As the medium who makes a difference, Melinda and her guests discuss practical spirituality and how it makes an impact on our everyday lives. And now, here's your hostess, Melinda Vale. Welcome to Spirituality for Everyday Living. I'm Melinda Vale, and I have my life partner, my love, my husband with me today. I want to introduce you to Bill LaRue. And when she said, uh, my life partner and my love, I was looking around for the other guy. (laughs) Bill and I are active in our church, and we are so pleased to be members of a church that dedicates uh, itself uh, to various charities and uh, amazing things. We're doing a shoebox Christmas uh, charity right now where everybody takes a shoebox and fills it with goodies for kids somewhere. Last year it was the Philippines, kids somewhere for Christmas. We have Matthew's Crossing, uh, which is for food, feed our starving children, Uh, Mary Jo West, who is a member of our church, headed a group of people going to Africa to build a well. It's just an amazing group of people. And today, I brought Bill on with me because I want to discuss one of Bill's and my primary focuses with the church. We are on the committee for uh, a wonderful fundraiser that's coming up, and it's called uh, the, The Recovery Cafe. And the reason that I asked Bill to be on is because nobody understands what it feels like to have drug addicts or alcoholics in their life until they have. But I'm sure all of you have known somebody that struggles with addiction. I'm sure you've known somebody who has a child who's had terrible difficulty with the newest, latest drug, fentanyl, that's killing so many. I I must tell you that I talk to people on the daily that have lost children to fentanyl or heroin or uh, just the lifestyle that, that drug addiction carries with it, and alcoholism as well. And so um, we want to talk to you today about Bill's journey with drug and alcoholism and then a little bit more on Recovery Cafe. So that's what we're going to do, huh, Bill? Uh, That's exactly what we're going to do, and I'm really interested to see where this is going to go. (laughs) Well, first of all, Bill, you were born in a sanitarium. I was born blind in a sanitarium. And um, your mother had been in and out of mental health care facilities and had a drug addiction problem. Uh, yes, she did. It was uh, it was a bane for, I believe, her entire life. There's so little I know about her because the family that, well, my stepmother, never, ever talked about her, and neither did my dad. So I know virtually nothing, and I only have one small picture that's, oh, I guess, about two inches by two inches of her. Which we have on our mantle at home, by the way, um, because remember, any type of addiction is a disease, Um, Just like cancer is a disease, some people live with cancer, some people die with cancer, some people live with addiction, some people die with addiction. Recovery Cafe has an amazing ability to help people who want to live and get past their addiction. But you have a single memory of your mother when you were five years old. Can you share that? Uh, Yeah, it's, um, I was standing in the backyard. I was, as you said, about five years old. This was after she died in the house, 
and we're not sure whether it was suicide or murder from the stepfather. We don't know. And uh, the only memory I have of her is standing there by myself, gripping the hurricane fence, looking through it as they take the gurney out with a sheet over it. And that's all. I had regained my eyesight by then through some surgery, but uh, that's, that was the memory. So when he's saying that he was born blind, he was really born with kind of a, a lazy cross-eye kind of thing, so he couldn't see well and had well, multiple surgeries as a young tot to correct the eyes, correct? Uh, yeah, corrected the eyes, and uh, also I have multiple dings in my head from missing steps on occasion. <laughs> I think those dings are, oh, no, wait, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the love. Um, so, I mean, here's someone who started their life out in a situation where there was mental illness and drug addiction. Uh, if your mother overdosed, that's the reason that you don't know whether the pills were given to her uh, in deliberate, uh, deliberately or whether they sh- she took them herself. But I must say, as I counsel people who've had a similar situation, oftentimes the family is in denial that someone would take their lives and leave small children. You even had a sister younger than you um, because they can't believe that would happen. But it does happen with mental illness. People do take their lives and leave small children. But then, Bill, you went from the fire into the frying pan because your stepmother was also an addict. She was an alcoholic. Yeah, she was a a child of alcoholic parents from um, Appalachia, North Appalachia, near uh, in uh, Philadelphia, not Philadelphia, but in uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, she uh, consumed copious quantities of beer daily. And... uh, Figuring out many, many years later, I was her scapegoat child. If there was something that went wrong, I was the dog that got kicked. So a scapegoat child is something that I teach about, too. It's that one kid that a parent decides to pick on for whatever reason. And usually it's the most sensitive kid. Um, So uh, Bill also has two older brothers. uh, So they went with father and stepmother, and Bill went and a younger sister. So this woman was not in a a position where she wanted to take on kids, and it was more or less forced on her. And uh, she ended up uh, drinking all day. (laughs) Um, You know, there is a wonderful book called Adult Children of Alcoholics. If, If those of you have been raised in an alcoholic household, get that book because it does have lasting effects. All of these things have lasting effects, and I'm sure that you're in gratitude to Bill that he is willing to kind of put that out there for all of us because uh, it's so important that we learn from each other. So your stepmother started drinking beer around, what, 10 o'clock in the morning, as you've shared with me. Do you remember being in, uh, you know, first grade, second grade, third grade with her drinking all day, or you'd come home and she would be still drinking or drunk or... It just seemed like a part of the uh, natural landscape. I never attached anything to it. Because it was normal life to you. Yes, that was normal. Mm -hmm. And she would have you go get me a beer kind of thing. She would send you to get her beer. Uh, She had a little bell that she would ring when she wanted a beer. And that was my job is when the bell rang, go get her a beer. Just you or the other kids? That was my job. You were the beer runner. Yes, how do you think that that was, you know, affected you? If you thought that was normal life, how did it affect you as an adult? 
Uh, as uh, an adult, I thought it was uh, a natural thing to do to um, experiment with drugs and drink to uh, excess. I just thought that's what you did. Mm-hmm. When did you start drinking? Uh, in the morning. <laughs> You know, it's not funny, really, and we are joking, not because we think it's funny, just because a little bit of levity helps, you know, a little bit of uh, levity helps it all kind of be palatable to people, and so that's one of the things that I think you learned throughout the course of of a very difficult childhood was to use your sense of humor as one of your tools to get through it, so, you know, when you're making a joke, a lot of people might not realize that that's that's, uh, your way of handling a tough subject. It, it's so much easier to deal with a wound that way mm-hmm. because those wounds really, really never go away. Um, but no, uh, drinking really began at age 18, but I, I smoked my share of dope as a youngster. In high school or junior high? Uh, high school and when I was in the Army. Kind of uh, interesting is the day I quit smoking, and I remember absolutely clearly is I got a job as a manager of a pizza hut. And I thought, oh, my God, I can't do this job stoned. So I quit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely cold turkey. Never, never had any desire to smoke another joint. And that was at age 25. I was done mm-hmm. because I had to pay attention, which in a strange way makes me quite different because some people have relapses and difficulties being able to stay away from that. In my case, I didn't. Mm -hmm. I had no desire to. I still enjoy drinking, but much, much less than I did when I was 18 through uh, 25. The Titanic could have floated on what I would drink in a day. Mm -hmm. Alcoholism is a family disease. It, It goes down through the generations. So, you know, just like you said, it was a feeling of normalcy to see your uh, mother. At that time, she became your mother like you called her mom. Yes. um, Drinking all day. And uh, so it wasn't a big deal to you when you started drinking. And this is how alcoholism passes through the generations. Did she ever get incoherent? Did she ever get abusive? Did she ever use the alcohol as an excuse for her behavior? Never use alcohol as an excuse. Uh, Abusive, yes. Uh, They're multiple occasions she would chase me with a knife and try and stab me but uh, fortunately I was fleet on my feet but she was serious she Mm -hmm. wanted to do uh, she wanted to do damage Mm -hmm. I'm sorry for her I think you know we could talk about forgiveness as we talk in this podcast as well but I I sort of want to stick to because I mean it takes a lot to forgive somebody that is that uh, emotionally unable to regulate themselves and that the alcohol inhibits even more their ability to self-regulate and to still be able to feel some kind of compassion for them. So I think that's an testament of your character. But I, I really still want to stick to how, you know, the alcoholism affected you and other generations. Do you find that there was addiction that ran through your siblings? Do you think there are other, you know, tendencies of addiction that you have had. Like, how does this disease move through generational patterns? Um, my brother continues to uh, consume adult beverages. Uh, I have another brother that um, 
apparently he really inherited um, the mental illness bug, and we have not heard much from him. He's been in and out of jail, a felon, and just a uh, reprobate, and so he's been dismissed. I And my sister have not heard from her for a long time, but uh, fetal alcohol syndrome cast her in a very tough lot in life. So was it fetal alcohol because that was your mom, mom, your bio mom that gave yes. birth to her? Or was she a drug-addicted baby, or don't you know? I, I do not know. Mm-hmm. And there again, I want everybody to understand that, you know, we have people who are addicted to drugs that are having children that are addicted to drugs, and this becomes a generational pattern. And there are babies that are, are having to be weaned off and be put on methadone because they're addicted to heroin. Or, you know, there are people that use fentanyl recreationally or so they think and don't realize that that one time that they make a mistake, there's fentanyl that's laced in other kinds of pills. There are kids that say, here you go. Why don't you take some of my ADHD medicine so that you can get through that test? And it actually has fentanyl and kills another kid. I mean, we have children that are social workers, and we hear these stories all the time about how kids that are not addicts have taken something and ended up dying from it, too. And it has become a countrywide dilemma. It is a dilemma that we all have to pay attention to, that we all have to begin to um, not look the other way. And, you know, listening to you, you know, I I can see, you know, a grimace. You know, I, we have our friend Pat McMahon always here in the studio with us because we just make this our time to all get together. And he grimaced a couple of times because he has not heard part of your story, Bill, even though we are long-term friends. And it must be hard to be, uh, you know, to talk about it, you know, to tell people how much addiction affected you in your life. Uh, it does, and one of the other things, too, is that it uh, teaches you to be numb to uh, feelings and emotions around you. And one of the difficult things is emotion can be a motivator. And if you have a positive emotion, if you have love and support and warmth and compassion, that is a motivator that moves you to uh, the better things in life, the higher things in life. But if you're numb to that, then you're easily subject to uh, the things that will pull and drag you down and keep you there. And with that numbness, you need more of that addictive essence in order to be able to stay numb. Mm -hmm. So, you know, moving out of the numb is very, very interesting part of the recovery process, I think. And I must say, in our marriage, one of the residual effects that I saw right away was that, and ladies, you may think that this sounds great, but it really is not great. (laughs) He wants to wait on me hand and foot. The way that he kept his mother happy was she rang the bell, he waited on her hand and foot, that's the way he survived. So he'll jump in front of me if I'm doing something to do it for me instead of allowing me to do it. And it can be rather annoying, actually, to have somebody do that. So we've had to wrestle with that a little bit in our lives as far as, you know, let me be me, quit jumping into my space, I don't need you to wait on me. Although 
He does go and get me ice cream when I ask him. But I will just say that, which is my addiction, but we'll talk about that on another show. (laughs) I must say that's a residual effect. Another residual effect is when we first started to live together, he was drinking uh, pretty heavy drinks. Uh, Instead of a shot in a glass, it was a shot in a glass. And um, it was a couple of glasses. And I said, I can't. I can't live with that. I won't live with that. And you quickly rectified that too, because to me, that was a functionable alcoholic, someone that drinks more than a drink or two every day is a functionable alcoholic. And a lot of people don't think that they're alcoholics when they're functionable alcoholics because they get up, they go to work, they still you know, do all the things that they need to do, and they don't realize that they're still numbing themselves and still not participating in life full fully and an emotional exchange with another person. So I think when you came to me, you were probably quite a bit of a functionable alcoholic yourself. Well, it just uh, continued with the uh, numbing aspect of things. And once you begin to wake up a little bit and realize that uh, uh, numbing uh, your environment is not really the thing that is going to uh, help you engage at a deeper level with family. Uh, For instance, with our families, uh, We've blended beautifully. My children, her children, we don't refer to them as his and hers. We refer to them as ours. And uh, the kids, the grandkids, they call her mom, they call her grandma, and they know no difference. So it is a blended family, but it's an emotional tie and getting away from the things that bog you down, numb you, are the things that allow that emotional aspect to begin to become, for lack of a better way of putting it, the new addiction. Mm. But the thing, it's something that causes you to grow and to love. Not a bad deal. Right. Well, let's talk about, now that we've talked about why this is a project that we hold so near and dear, and I must also say on my side of things, uh, my first husband, the father of my children, the biological father of my children, his father, was a, uh, an alcoholic, a non-functioning alcoholic who could not hold down a job. And so I've always had this awareness with my children to be kind of on them, um, telling them there's alcoholism that runs uh, one generation above you, and you have to be careful with alcohol. And I also come from a very large family, and dotted through my family, I do have an alcoholic here or there with a cousin or an uncle or whatnot. So um, although it didn't touch me from my own family of origin, my parents and so on, it certainly is something that I have been well aware of for my children and brought to their attention on a regular basis as we, as I was, as I was raising them. So the Recovery Cafe is something that we hold so near and dear because of Bill's story, because I have an awareness of it from my own family background, because I help people all the time who've lost loved ones because of it. And there is um, a story behind uh, the Recovery Cafe. Would you tell everybody exactly what the Recovery Cafe is, Bill, and why we are so excited to participate in this wonderful uh, program? A Recovery Cafe is a national program began about 2003 in Seattle uh, through the uh, King County um, Health Department. And what they had noticed is that when people came out of recovery from treatment, there really wasn't anything for them, and they'd lapse right back into 
uh, the behaviors that put them in a position where they needed treatment again and again. It became a vicious cycle. And so what they've developed is a concept referred to as recovery-oriented system of care. Obviously, we get the recovery part, but it's oriented towards the recovery, which is a maintenance of that. And that's the system of care, and it's based upon several different aspects. Uh, there are four keys to it are the emotional part of it, demonstrating that you can love, that you can be part of a community. And that's what Cafe, while well, Recovery Cafe is, it is a community. Also, informational. They share words, concepts, ideas, magazines, articles, things that help you understand where you're at. And then instrumental. It's providing something that's concrete to be able to get through uh, instances in your life that are challenging and difficulty after treatment. And also the big part, which is the affiliation. The affiliation is the community, is you know that you can go to a recovery cafe, get a cup of coffee, and sit and talk with somebody who has been in the same boat with you. And together you can work through things instead of reaching for something that makes you numb and allows you to just kind of dip back into that darkness. Instead, you're communicating and tying in with people that are going to help you to raise above and become who you can be. So it is a recovery-oriented system of care. It, think about uh, a burning building. And the firemen show up, they put the fire out, and then they go home because their job is done. And there's just enough of the structure of the building there left to rebuild it. Sometime later, after its treatment, it is new, it is shiny, it has great elevators and windows, and all is wonderful and new. And then after a little bit of time, the banisters need a little maintenance. A hot water heater may go out. The elevators have a glitch in them. But there's nobody to do the maintenance. The building falls into disrepair. Catches on fire again. The firemen show up. They put the fire out. There's the treatment. But there is no recovery-oriented system of care to keep the maintenance of the building moving. And this is what we need as humans in recovery, is we need that systematic maintenance on ourselves, And we need those different aspects. We need the emotional support. We need the information that we can act on. And we need the concrete tools that allow us to be able to do these things. I say that it's hard to uh, get a job. I'm not doing well in my interviews. Well, great. Here's a class that'll teach you how to do interviews and put your resume together. Then all of a sudden you're empowered. And it's the affiliation with other people that allow you to be in this position. That's what Recovery Cafe is. This is a little bit different. Now, it's not to say that they're exclusionary from other treatments and other recovery aspects. Instead, they are inclusionary. 12-step programs are available. All of the things that you see in treatment programs, you can receive through Recovery Cafe. But once again, it is about community self-worth, self-respect, and dignity and empowering the whole individual from a holistic standpoint. We have a wonderful building for Recovery Cafe. It's located at 2992 North Alma School Road. 
and it's just a, a wonderful facility to come and do some aftercare. Once you've been through rehab and you don't know where to go, yes, uh, to go to an AA or an NA meeting is great, but this, again, has more of a community-orientated kind of a designation for you to add to that program as well. And we are having, on Friday, the November 3rd at 5.30 p.m., an event, a fundraising event. Oh, tell me about it. And it's <laughs> it's uh, in um, Mesa at the IRA. Is that how I pronounce that? A Y R A IRA. Yeah. IRA Event Center. And you know we are excited to be there. We'll be there. Please uh, jump up on www.recoverycafeaz.org/gap for your tickets, or if you just want to donate. Uh, 10 bucks or something, we'll take that too. But we have wonderful prizes on a silent auction. What have we got for people there? Oh Bill? my goodness. I think we have a dude ranch. Let something. me get the yeah. list here. We have a dude ranch. I, I want to go have... on the. No, I, I'm, I don't. I would go to the dude ranch and want to sit under a tree and read and not ride because. Well, they have horseback riding, I know. which is so much better than horse belly riding. <laughs> But anyway, see, people who love horses, there's a dude ranch. Oh, also, Dr. Maya Swan, mm -hmm. a practitioner of myofascial release, unbelievable physical therapy treatment that, you know, and it's interesting because what she does ties in exactly with what Recovery Cafe is because it is a web, it's a net, it's a matrix. That's what your body is, but that's what you are to the community at large. You are an important part of this community. I don't care if you're laying in an alley somewhere with a half bottle of wine. Come on, let's get you rebuilt, and let's get you into a world where you can do the things that you can excel at with self-respect and with love and with dignity. Body, mind, that and spirit. Yeah, Maya's been on our podcast. And, and the Mission Inn, we have a gift certificate for the Mission Inn. $150 And Jennifer's value. Restaurant. Oh, yeah, Papa Go Golf Course. Oh, Papa, wow. A $600 value at Papa Go Golf Course. And so, what about Me Mexico? There is a trip that we're going to be auctioning off to Mexico, Puerto Vallarta. Andale, mira, señorita. Yeah. We have some real good things there. Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, let's see. Cindy with the med spa has mm -hmm. beauty treatments. How to make you look young, young. You know, she she's my face. <laughs> oh, and actually now is for an informational commercial for Dave Pratt. Why Dave Pratt? Why is he in the middle of this all of a sudden? Because Dave Pratt is gifting to the Recovery Cafe Symposium and event $6,000 certificate for audio podcast. Three months on a weekly basis. If you want your voice heard throughout the world on Star Worldwide Network. You want to try a podcast? This is your chance, man. And boy, I'll tell you, here we feel like we have family. They're all so good to us every time we're in here. You will never have an experience like doing your own podcast from Star Worldwide Network. And he also gave tickets. 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 Tickets to the Pratt Brothers Christmas. That's cool. It, it is absolutely awesome because you can go out there and you can eat so many s'mores <laughs> That's, and more. He's still thinking oh, about his minute, stomach. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you know, um, I hope you all appreciate that Bill was uh, able to kind of 
show what life is like for a child that has to deal with parents that are addicted to either drugs or alcohol. It's no picnic. And he grew up and went into the Army because his stepmother and mother uh, gave him a eviction uh, notice when he was 18. And it took quite a number of years to get into a place of trying to find uh, the balance that that he has now. So appreciate that, Bill. I'm, I'm glad that you came to, to tell everybody about your story. And if you have a story, um, please come on down to the Recovery Cafe. Join us for a wonderful event. Again, that is 5.30 p.m. November 3rd, and that's the IRA Event Center. That's 1316 South Longmore in Mesa. And again, the website is www.recoverycafeaz.org slash gap. Stand in the gap with someone you know and help others get through the process of addiction. Have a great day.